being who you are. And thank you for being constant when we are not and when life is not. Lord, let us cling to those truths as we go through this holiday season, Lord, that we start with being thankful and we end the year, Lord, focusing on who you are and how you came and how you came to save us, Lord. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for this church. Thank you for John. Be with John as he brings the message and keep us focused as he does, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 1. This morning as we begin, um, as we just this morning talk about thanksgiving and thankfulness. <coughs> you know, in years past when I've preached Thanksgiving season, I've always went to one of the Psalms. And this year, I, as I was praying, heading up to this past week, I said, God, we're... Um, what do what do I need to hear, and what what do our people at Access need need to hear? And um, the Book of Philippians is one of my favorite books of the New Testament uh, um, for a number of reasons. Um, but uh, this first couple verses that we're going to look at is a big reason. I titled the sermon "Thankful for." There's much that I can say that I'm personally thankful for. One, um, I'm I'm thankful um, for my wife and how she stands with me uh, in the good, the bad, when I make smart decisions, which is rarely uh, ever the case, and when I make dumb decisions, which is most of the time. That wasn't supposed to be funny. That was supposed to be funny. I guess it wasn't. Uh, Evidently, you all see my dumb decisions. What? They know it's true, yes. Um, you could at least feel sorry for me and say, oh, I don't even do that. Okay. <laughs> so, so I'm, but I'm thankful for her. I'm thankful, um, believe it or not, I'm thankful for some really hard conversations uh, that I've had with people um, over the last four years a part of this campus and over the last five years that I've had at White Oak. Um, to be honest with you, we've had some really difficult conversations with people. Um, and uh, conversations just uh, doing what, what's going on in their life, what's going on within the church life, what they like, they don't like, those kind of things. And I'm thankful for those conversations. You say, John, why are you thankful for difficult conversations? Because at least having a difficult conversation means that we're having a conversation. And we're able to talk about the things um, that, that God is doing and what God wants to do. And here's the thing. I don't ask everybody to like what I do. What I want them to do is is love Jesus. Amen? And in that, that means that, that we have um, a lot of work to do. And that means that sometimes we got to have some conversations about what that means. And so I'm thankful for that. But as we come to Thursday and the Thanksgiving season... It's easy to say I'm thankful for family, I'm thankful for this, I'm thankful for that. But as we come to Thursday, are we, do we remember what the day is about? Hundreds of years ago, a group of people come over here on, on a boat. What a big boat. Like most of us, if we're going to cruise across the ocean, we're not going to we're not going to get in a, a, a small boat the size of this building, are we? We're, we're going to get in a, in a massive cruise ship, right? Bigger than, than, than uh, any of the facilities we have. 
and we're going to feel safe because it's, it's massive, right? But could you imagine crossing the ocean in, in a ship the size of this sanctuary that's made of wood with no motor? It's difficult, right? No bathrooms on it. Difficult. And the pilgrims, they come over here and they get here, and, and that first winter is very harsh. Think about what they were thankful for as the Native Americans come to, to help them survive and to live. Those original settlers here in this country, in this land, were thankful for, yes, food and life, but also thankful for new friendships and partnerships with people that didn't look like them, talk like them, or even think like them. It would have been easy for the Native Americans to what? Let them die, right? But they didn't. They showed them how to plant corn and help them provide. This morning, I think, as we begin to think about that, we can also be thankful for the same things those original pilgrims are thankful for. We, yes, can be thankful for life, that God has given us uh, life. That, that during difficult seasons, during um, a season where we hear about so many school shootings, so many um, shootings in, in all kinds of places, we can be thankful that we, we've not been in one of those places, right? We can be thankful that we have food on our table daily, right? It may not be much, it, but we, we have that. But also, the, the big thing is we can be thankful for partnerships with people, friendships with people who look different, think different, and act different than us. Think about that. God's family is truly a collection of so many people that come from different backgrounds. And that's a beautiful thing, is it not? So let's dive into our, our passage this morning. And I want to talk about, <coughs> about some things in this passage. And then what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to outline some ways that in 2020 that we can move forward in doing some gospel ministry because of the things that we're thankful for. So not only is this a Thanksgiving sermon, but this is also a vision sermon for the future. And so it's, it's going to have a couple of different things in it, and the reason is because the text leads that way. And again, as Kyle read early uh, in the service this morning, we're starting in verse 3. I want to read it again. Here's what Paul writes to the church of Philippi. Remember, Paul's writing this church to this church while Paul is in a Roman prison. And a Roman prison was not like a prison that we have today. It was a big hole in the ground where you were left to die. It, it was a place where it just wasn't nice. And so as Paul's writing this, think of that. And here's what he writes. I give thanks to my God for every, remem every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my uh, all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel <coughs> from the first day until now 
I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it out on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Th that's a powerful statement for a guy who is sitting in a Roman prison to say, I am thankful for the ministry that God has with you. Paul's not writing here and saying, hey, I need you to pray for me because I'm in a rough place. You guys have helped me out, but, but I, need, I need your help. Paul, Paul doesn't even mention that, does he? He just thinks about them and what God has done in their life. He thinks about when he showed up to Philippi, how the, there was a, a very small Jewish um, gathering there, and they didn't even have a synagogue, and he met them down um, on the seaside, and that's where the church started. He's thankful for the Philippian jailer who came to Christ in a miraculous kind of way. And so as Paul is sitting there writing and he's thinking, he's, he's in this, this dungeon, this prison, he's saying, you know what, man, I'm, I've, I've sung a lot of good songs, and now I want to write a letter to, to the church of Philippi, a group of people I absolutely love, and I want to give them thanks. This week as I was studying and thinking about this, I thought, man, if I'm in this kind of place where I'm, um, I'm in confinement, I'm in a place that's just not real nice, my thought is not to think about what God is doing in other people's life. My thought is, how can I get out of here? How can I be comfortable? What can God do in my life? For, for me, Paul's not thinking about that. Paul's thinking about others. And I think the reason for that is that's what Christ calls us to do. He calls us to think about others before ourselves. Christ himself did that, did he not? When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's praying, uh, uh, in his last hours, he says, Father, if it's your, uh, if Father, I would love to get out of this situation, but it's not, uh, it's, it's not your will for that to happen. I'm, I'm, so I'm going to drink this cup and I'm going to go to the cross. Jesus was thinking about you and I as he's sitting there in the garden. Think about this. When the woman at the well is, is there, uh, Jesus could have went around Samaria, but he went right there. Why? Because he was thinking about her, not, not, not himself. Go even further in the Gospels. When, when Jesus is preaching and teaching uh, to the thousands of people, it says that he was tired. And they followed him. And so what did he do? He didn't say, you know what, guys, I'm tired. I need a break. Um, you guys need to go away. No, what did he do? He sat him down and said, I'm going to teach and preach to you. And so he teaches and he preaches. And then he looks at the disciples and says, hey, um, this 10,000 plus people, because it was 5,000 men, 4,000 men, so you got at least 10,000 people sitting there. Jesus says, you know what? We can't send them back hungry. They need something to eat. He's thinking about them. Matter of fact, those passages says Jesus looked on them with compassion. And so Paul has the heart of Jesus. And so what I'm thankful for is that Jesus is changing my heart to have the heart for Jesus. It's not always easy. 
But as we begin to look at the text, here's some things that we need to understand. One is that we give thanks because there's a unity in the partnership in the gospel. Look what Paul writes here. He says this, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Why? Why is he joyful for them? Why is he thinking about them all the time? Because of this next phrase. Listen. Because of your partnership in the gospel <clears throat> from the first day until now. This week when I was with, with a couple guys, our study group, we were talking about this. And this word partnership is the word koinonia, which means um, group of people who, who get along. And oftentimes when we begin to think of koinonia, we think of sitting around a table and fellowshipping that kind of way. And that's what koinonia does mean that. It means that, that when we sit around a table, we, we eat together, we fellowship together, we do that. But the idea here is much deeper, and koinonia actually means much more than just that. It, it, here the idea is this. It, it is this idea of with each other. And, and, this, and this word koinonia is a compound word in the Greek. This word partnership in the Greek is a compound word. In the first part of this word, there, there's this idea of being with each other, with in fellowship. And the idea here of this with is, and, and I, I know I'm, I'm doing some Greek language, but you need to understand this because it unlocked some things for s- some of our guys this week as they were hearing this. The idea here of partnership means this. It's not like with fellowship. Like if I'm, if I'm having a meal with Teresa and Gary, we're sitting there, we're with each other. Um, it, it's because we're together around the table, right? But that's not actually what this means. This with is what's, in the Greek, it's called meta. There's two ways of saying with. There's summa and meta. Meta actually means with as in this. Their fingers are locked together. They are in complete and full partnership. There is no separation. better way to describe this is how many of you love homemade biscuits? Most of us like homemade biscuits. Rocky, you like homemade biscuits? You didn't raise your hand. I thought, something's wrong. We're going to talk. Roy, you did not raise your son the right way if he doesn't like homemade biscuits. No, we like homemade biscuits, right? You begin to make homemade biscuits, I know that you got to have some flour, right? you got to have milk. you got to have eggs. you got to have some other things, right? And you, you put all that in a bowl and you begin to mix it, right? Once you mix that, can you take those ingredients out and separate them again? No. That's the idea of meta. That's the idea here of this partnership Paul's talking about. It's the idea that we are now mixed together and we can't separate. So here's the beauty of that. Guess what? This church is a homemade biscuits. So you tell somebody, say, yeah, that's, so you, you go out and you say, hey, I want you to join me for church. Hey, and we're like a homemade biscuit. You can't separate yourself from us. I mean, that's something. You say, you, you want biscuits every Sunday? Come join me. 
We can see. Yeah. But, but there's this idea of unity and partnership that's to, together. That Paul's saying we're, we're together in this. And it's that partnership that allows Paul to say, I give thanks for you with joy. He could say the same thing about the book we're studying, the book of Corinth, of the church of Corinth. Paul actually felt the same way about the church of Corinth. He loved them so much that he wrote them multiple letters to correct them, to say that you are my brothers and sisters, I love you, I am with you. Again, going back to the illustration of homemade biscuits, if you don't put something in right, the biscuit doesn't taste what? doesn't taste right. But it's still a biscuit, right? But guess what happens in the church if a church is like that? Somebody's attitude's not right or something's not right, their theology's not right. Guess what happens? People that look at us, taste of, of this, say, that's funky tasting. That doesn't taste right. That doesn't look right. How do we, what do we do? Does, does that mean we throw the dough away? Does it mean we throw each other away? No, what it means is this. Here's the beauty of it. Jesus can take a bad-tasting biscuit and make it manna. Jesus can take a bad-tasting biscuit and make it manna. And I believe that's what God's doing here. Because I'll be honest with you, for a good part or early part of our marriage together, as far as a church, the biscuit wasn't tasting real well. But God is doing something. He's changing it to manna. And here's the thing. God can change things to manna immediately, or he can let it process. And most of the time, God lets it process. Why? Because if we change immediately, we often forget what? Where we came from. But if we go through the process, we see the changes, we feel the changes, and in that, we are truly transformed, as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12. So Paul is saying here to, to the church of Philippi, you are, you and I are unified together. Secondly, this morning, I could say this, that in our text, something that we are thankful for, I'm thankful for this partnership. I'm thankful for each of you. I'm thankful for, for what each of you mean into my life. I'm thankful for all of that. I'm thankful for this partnership that, that we are together. But I'm also thankful for this next phrase. Let, let your eyes in, in your Bible or on your um, Bible app, whatever you've got, fall to verse number 6. Let your eyes fall there. Look what Paul writes. I am sure of this. This idea here of being sure of something is, is Paul has a guaranteed understanding that this is going to happen. There's no way that this changes. He says this, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it into um, carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
right here, there's, there's this idea of that perseverance uh, will happen until the kingdom work is done. What, what Paul is telling the church here is two things in, in this, this verse. Is one is that you're, you're going to persevere, you're going to be preserved until not your life is over, but until the kingdom work is done. Paul's not talking about individuals and their life. He's talking about until Christ returns. He's saying that you're going to persevere, that the gospel, the kingdom is going to persevere, and you're personally going to persevere until the kingdom comes or you get to the kingdom. And why is that going to happen? Why are you and I going to be able to persevere? Because Jesus started the work, and the work he starts, he always finishes. I don't know about you, but I have a problem of sometimes starting a project and not finishing it. My guess is everybody in the room has that problem. At least at some point in their life, they've done that, right? <coughs> they've started something. I've got journals that I've started, and about halfway through or third way through, I stopped. And I thought, eh, I'm going to go get another one because I don't like the way this one's going. We, we do that, right? I'd love to start halfway right now um, in, in the moving process. I'd love to just say, you know what? Everything's gone from my house. We're good to go. But I can't. And what Paul is telling the church here is this. God started this in you. God used me when I showed up to preach the gospel to you. He started it. And from the first day he started it until the end, he's going to complete it. He's going to work in you. And so here's the good news. If you're in this room and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the work God started at the moment of your salvation is going to come to completion. It's not going to fail. God's going to work it out. And so, so Paul's saying is, I am thankful that God is preserving you. I, I love that. So here's the good news, church. God's going to preserve his work in Chattanooga, in the kingdom. Why? Because there's people here, and the gospel's here. And so that doesn't matter if there's 12 of us going out or if there's 1,200 of us going out to live for the kingdom. God's going to work. God's not concerned with the how many. He's concerned with how faithful we are. Think about that. Nowhere in Scripture does God care about how many people he has to do a great work. As a matter of fact, most of the time, he shrinks the great number to a small number to get done what he wants done. Gideon's a great example of that, right? Gideon takes, goes from 300,000 men to 300 men to defeat what? A, a, about, most theologians and historians believe, a million-man army. Yeah, it was a massive army. It was, it was much larger than, than what we think. See, we think these, these civilizations were, were tiny in the, in the Old Testament. They, they were not tiny. They, they were massive. Babylon, Babylon itself would make New York City look like Chattanooga. I mean, you got massive amounts of people. But we think because that was thousands of years ago, there's only a few people and they live in caves, right? But they weren't. They were very sophisticated. 
So what God does is he takes the small and he blows the kingdom up for that. Think about that. He takes 12 guys. One of them betrays him. And so he takes 11 guys after that. And out of that 11 guys, one of them stands up and speaks. And thousands come to Christ. And in that, what you know what they do? God says, you know what? Everybody's gathering in Jerusalem, so we need to send them out. So he sends in persecution in Jerusalem to send the church out. God always works in this way. And he preserves the kingdom. Thirdly, this morning, as we look at our text, before I get into some illustrations of the way we can go into 2020 and connect, is this. <coughs> Thirdly, and is this. I'm thankful for a ministry and a work that's seasoned in prayer. Paul says in verse 7, Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart. What he's talking about here is, when he says heart, he, he's, he means the idea of his, his deep prayer life, his deep love for them. You're all partners with me in grace. Think about that. Partners in grace, and then look where he connects them. And both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He connects them to his imprisonment. We distance ourselves from imprisonment, don't we? Paul connects them to that. Why? Because Paul is saying, you know what? I'm in prison for the gospel, and you're right here with me. And as I defend the gospel and confirm the gospel, you're there with me too. So what he's saying is, in good times, guess what? We're, 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 we're together, we're a biscuit. In bad times, guess what? Still, still a biscuit. Sometimes we got to throw some really good gravy on a bad biscuit, but we're together. That's this confirmation of praying together, being together, loving each other. And why I just use that illustration is this. Sometimes somebody's life is not going the way it needs to, and you and I need to help cover that up for them. Before I get into some ways that we can make this happen in 2020, I want to share a brief story. One of my best friends in the world, um, one, of the, one of the reasons I'm in ministry and the impact he's had on my life, Katie thought that he was an imaginary friend for many years until she finally met Andy. You've never met Andy. She's still imaginary. I thought she met him. He was at our wedding, and she didn't meet him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Andy and I have been friends for, um, for almost 30 years. <clears throat> this past summer, um, Andy called me, and he, he and I talk a lot about football. We do a, a lot of just, just me. We went to football games all our life, or you know, friendship, and we talk a lot about that just for fun, just to get our minds off of me. But one day this summer, Andy called me, 
And I was coming over here, and I sat underneath the, the drive there. And he called me, and he said, hey, you got a minute to talk? And I said, sure. He goes, um, <clears throat> I, I need you to pray with me for something. I said, okay. He goes, uh, Stephanie, that's his wife, is, she wants to leave you. He says, ministry's too hard. Forced upon me. And, and I sat there, and I, I'm broken for him because, I, I mean, I know them well. They just adopted a kid. They, they're, they're two natural kids where one's in college and one's a senior this year. And, and a couple years ago, they adopted uh, one of Andy's cousins, basically from birth. And I just asked him, and I'm not going to go into detail. I said, man, what, what's going on? And he said, she just, he goes, here's the reality. John, she's either lost or she's far away from Jesus. And he goes, if she's lost, pray that she gets Jesus. And he says, there's things in, in her life that I, I've kind of covered up to say that she really wasn't a believer, but I just, I didn't want to believe that. Because when you love somebody, you just, you don't want to see something. But he goes, if she's away from Jesus, pray she comes back. And so for about four months now, we've been praying. Just this past week, she filed for divorce. He's on staff of a large church in Nashville. Here is his words to me last night as we were, we always text during football games, but and we were texting last night, and he says, I want you to know something. And he goes, um, God has been very good to me. And he goes, my fellow believers in my church community have wrapped their arms around they have offered to come for me to come eat Thanksgiving with them, to have a room for me, to provide for me, to do anything I need. He says, all I have to do is make the phone call. And my text back to him was this. That is the true body of Christ. Because they are covering him with prayer and love like that. That's what I want for this body. That when somebody hurts, somebody does something that doesn't look good, that we will cover them with grace. Because not only was that the text to him, but the next text was, They've asked, how can we cover Stephanie in prayer and love? That's my desire for this body and for White Oak. To get over differences and to realize that we are together, whether we like it or not, because we are in Christ. Paul's saying here is we're together in this thing. So as I close, <coughs> I'm thankful for this body. But I'm also thankful for what God has given us and the opportunities of ministry as we partner together in 2020. 
here's where we're, we've got three, three ways that you and I can, can do ministry in 2020 and impact the kingdom for the glory of God. One is, is we have a partnership with a school named William and Mary. We have an opportunity to, to go up there and minister to kids. We have an opportunity to speak into the lives of kids. And I promise you, they want that. I will be up there tomorrow morning speaking at chapel. But more than that, Becky has asked me to come and throw some football with some guys who want to learn how to throw a football. So guess what I'm going to do during the week? I'm going to come and I'm going to throw some football with some guys. You're in school. Cause it's a school, they're a school, you're in school. But yeah, we'll do some things. But I'm going to come and I'm going to do that. You know why? I don't like everything that they do. But it's not about whether I like everything they do, whether they make me angry from time to time or frustrate me. What it's about is that there are people there who need Jesus Christ. I just found out this week because one of our own, Lucy, who normally sits here, is goes to school there. There's a couple of the high school kids who are atheists. They come to a Christian school. So if we look ugly to those kids and to their parents, guess what that means? We're just just proving to them or in their minds that Christianity is not what it needs to be. But you know what? If we go up there and we love on those kids, you, you say, I don't know how to do that. I'll get you Becky Randolph's phone number, and you can get in touch with her. And it may be just simply going and, and saying, you know, give me the names of all the kids, their families, and, and Becky will do that, and I'm going to write them cards. It, it may be, you know what? They need snacks, and I'm going to take snacks. It, it may be, you know what, they bring their lunch every day. It may be, you know what, I'm going to, uh, me and a couple other people, we're going to fix a lunch for them this week. It, it can be all kinds of, you know what, it could be some of those kids need help reading because some of them um, have reading issues. It may be, you know what, I can read and I like to read. I'm going to go up and sit with them and help them read. And it doesn't have to be during school hours. That, that's one partnership. But what I'm asking you is in 2020 to, to, to do that. And I'm not going to have 10 different events to do that. I want us to do what happened at Long Hollow with my buddy Andy. The community around him just goes loves on him because they see a need. Right there's a need on our campus. There are 40 families. How many would love to have 40 more families in this church? There's 40 families sitting right here Monday through Friday that could be interacting with us secondly on mondays and wednesdays here we have kids downstairs at the mdo program mother's day out program it started with five kids eight weeks ago there are about nine to fifteen every day here there's 40 kids over the other campus we don't have room right now for 40 kids but they are families, and I know several of those families, and they go to church nowhere. 
I've had one of those families from the other campus tell me this. I would visit your church if somebody other than the pastoral staff and church staff would come visit me and see me. Not one has done that. And I've told people that. I'll prom- And guess what? That family comes here. And so what I would love is for on a Monday or a Wednesday, if you can, be here at like 8.30 and just say, hey, I'm here and here's some muffins or here's something. I, I'm, I'm a member of this campus. I just want to say thank you. We love you. We're glad we get to support you. And here, here's my number if you need something. It's a way you and I can, can interact. And I get it. Some of us work. We can't do that. But we can get numbers and we can get information to you to help minister to these families. The third and final thing that I want us to be involved with, and when I say us, I mean us, is we have a volleyball team that meets here Tuesdays and Thursdays, 6 to 8, right, Jamie? Is that right? They, they could use some, some all kinds of things. Bottled water, he and I were just talking about this morning. They'd love for people to bring bottled water, Gatorade, come up and pray with the girls, write the girls cards. Every week, they travel. They, they'll start traveling season soon, right? I, I, I've traveled uh, playing ball before Katie and I got to m- got married. I can promise you when something's not going well, if you write them a card and just say, hey, open this when you need it, like if they don't have a good match, they open that, a card that says, you know what, I'm praying for you today, I, I'm thankful for you, will mean the world. Sports changes lives. But there, there's ten girls, right? Nine, nine girls. Nine families that we can minister to. And, and, and they're sitting here week in and out. We can, we can, you can go to them and ask them. But, you know, you can just ask them. What, what do you guys need? Those are ways that we can minister. And people want that. And so in 2020, what I'm asking is at least in those three areas, we partner together. Because we're already there that we realize that these are ways to impact people for the kingdom. And I'll promise you, if we do that, we get to December of 2020, I will be able to say the same thing that Paul says in verse 3. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in every prayer because of this key, because of your partnership in the gospel. I do pray for you every day. I am thankful for you. But I do not always have joy because of the way we do ministry. But I'm joyful because of what Christ can do and is doing. And so here's the challenge, church. Pray daily for these ministries. Ask the leadership how of those ministries, how you can be involved. And thirdly and finally, 
get involved and get off the bench. Played football growing up. One place I did not want to be when it was 30 degrees was on the bench. Because that meant it was cold. But when I was in the football game, it was still cold, but I was sweating and active. Churches get cold when you sit on the bench. When you get in the game, you sweat a little bit. You may get hurt a little bit. But you get people who lift you up and walk with you. That's what I'm thankful for. And that's what I'm challenging us to. Father, as we come to our chance, our time of response this morning, God, I, I have laid out three opportunities for our people to be involved. There are other opportunities that I can lay out and, and will probably in the next few months. <coughs> but these are three ministries that, that, Father, we don't even have to go off our campus to, to be involved in. We, we, we can do that right here. Father, these are families and people that are right here. They're, they're right here. And we can do that. And so, God, I pray that you do that. I pray that you just bless the, the, these guys, that you, you bless this church. Give us what we need to finish well. Father, help us to, to understand that we, we are meta. We are with each other. We are in koinonia because of the gospel. And to realize that we will persevere. And so, God, I pray that you would, would work this morning. I pray that your spirit would just fall down right now and bring conviction. Father, where there has been separation, you would bring healing. Where there is, has been um, issues, that you would tear down walls. And, Father, you would do a work of healing, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Respond at your seat. You can respond down here.